So last week we started a series on uh, spiritual warfare. So hopefully you had a great week with that, just sitting with that and um, all that stuff. Um, and uh, we started from Ephesians 6, and we're calling this series The Good Fight, The Good Fight. And um, tonight, I would like to continue this series by drilling down a little bit more into, a little bit more heavily into the topic and the idea of spiritual warfare. So if you take notes, uh, well done, take a lot of notes tonight. If you don't take notes, tonight might be a good night to start to take some notes, okay? Um, it's important stuff, and I'll... And probably in the middle of the sermon, it'll get a little technical, and you'll have to just hang on for a bit, but then it'll make sense on where I'm going with it. Cool? So, um, so yeah. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6, and we're going to start in verse 10. I'm going to read to verse 20. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. One will be given to you. Um, it's one of the weapons. It's the sword of the Spirit, so you might need your sword this week. I don't know. Um, all right, Ephesians. Uh, if you need help getting to Ephesians, I'm sure someone to the right or left will help you get there. It's towards the end of the Bible, a really small book, a letter. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10. We'll start in verse 10. And then I'll pray a prayer of illumination, which basically goes something like, God, open our eyes so that we can see. That's kind of what I'll pray. So Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, Paul writing, he says, Finally, this is the end of the book, by the way, right? End of the letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. That's our text tonight. Tonight I want to talk about spiritual warfare. And the sermon is called, The Struggle is Real. Okay? The Struggle. Now, you know how hip-hop songs do a title and then in parentheses there's like a second title? So I'm doing that tonight. It's not reflected on the screen, but it's The Struggle is Real, in parentheses, Fight the Powers. Fight the powers. Let's pray. Lord, we pray tonight you would open up our eyes. I pray, Spirit of the living God, would you open up the eyes of this congregation tonight to see the spiritual. I know San Francisco is a very spiritual city. We're all hyper-spiritual, but we can't see. A lot of times we're just so blinded, and we're blinded because the enemy, the enemy of our soul keeps us blinded, keeps us, keeps us from hearing you, keeps us from seeing you, keeps us from seeing the reality of the spiritual realm. I pray tonight a prayer of illumination. Open up the eyes of our heart that we may see tonight, God, and be given faith to respond rightly. Pray an anointing upon myself. I ask that you would help me, anoint me with your spirit and your power, God, so that I can preach um, this word with confidence and even boldness. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. When I was, when I was getting into ministry, um, I had heard of spiritual warfare 
but I never really understood spiritual warfare. Maybe you are in a similar place. Um, of course, I heard about spiritual warfare because as soon as you become a Christian, you kind of know about it. But I, I was taught one day, I was, I was a young, green youth pastor. I think I was 21, 22 years old. And a woman came looking for me at the church offices. Um, I was the last one there at the church offices and I was supposed to lock everything up. And I was just about to lock the door when a knock on my door happened. And uh, the youth pastor's uh, office was kind of off the beaten path because that's what we do to youth pastors. You kind of like shove them somewhere else. And so I was kind of off the beaten path and um, not in the main kind of offices. So she came looking for me and knocked on my door, which opened up to the outside. So i about to lock my door and I knock on the door and I opened it and there was a woman standing there. And I go, well, hello. And she said, um, hi, are you Dave Lomas? And I said, uh, yes, I am. She goes, hi, so-and-so, which I don't remember who it was. I didn't even know the person at the time. So-and-so um, sent me to you. Um, I'm having a hard time in life, and I need to talk to someone, and they recommend I come and find you. So I came to this church, and I knocked on this door, and here you are. And I'm like, okay, here I am. So um, here's the thing. Offices are closed right now, so what I'll do is I'll lock my door, and we'll sit on the curb, and I'd love to chat with you and talk with you. So we sat outside on the curb, and I started asking her, what's going on with your life? What's going on? Um, why did you come and see me? She said she's been really struggling. She's thought she's been hearing voices of anger and rage and violence. And when she said this, uh, my little youth pastor senses started going off, beep, 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 you know, that sort of thing. And I started to pray for this woman under my breath, not that she can hear at all, just to pray. I started to pray for her. I prayed like a prayer, kind of like of illumination over her that Jesus would, would help her. And as soon as I started to pray for her, her whole demeanor changed. She started to hunch over. She twisted her head in this really freaky way. And she looked at me with this like strange, gurgly, strong voice. She said, stop praying for me. And, and again, I'm the only one in the office, so I'm like, um... Okay, so uh, could you wait right here, I said. And so I stood up and I ran. I walked over to the, uh, the church van. Okay, I'm a youth pastor, so I have a church van with a logo on the side. Don't, that's not the part of the story. Anyway, so I get into the church van and I lock the doors and I call my pastor. Like, call him on the phone. This is like when everyone started getting cell phones, okay? So this was, thank God for that. So I like dial him on my little Nokia, like little phone, boop, 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 boop. And I'm like, and he answers, I'm like, um, so, uh, hello, yeah, so I need some help. I need, I'm calling him for backup. Um, uh, there's a lady here who came looking for me by name, and she might be demonized because when I began to pray for her under my breath, she started to manifest, and it's freaking me out. And I don't know what to do. What do I do? And he said to me, this is not a joke. He literally said this to me. He said, tell her to come back tomorrow at 10 a.m. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You can do that to demons? You can just like, hey, you got to make an appointment like everyone else, all right? You don't get special treatment because you're a demon. Like, I didn't, I'm like, you can do that to demons? He's like, and Jesus, no, he didn't say that. But he's like, yeah, you can do that. So I'm like, okay. So I went back and I go, um, could you come back tomorrow at 10 a.m.? And she's like, sure. She stands right up, gets in her car, and drives away. And the next day at 10 a.m., she shows up. And that, that morning was the, one of the most real, serious, intense, and at times scariest thing I have ever done in ministry. A uh, couple of us, a few of us prayed for her and um, 
uh, did some deliverance ministry, and I was learning as a young uh, pastor to learn to take my place in the authority of Christ. I remember walking away from that experience thinking two things that have marked my life and ministry ever since. First thing is Satan is real and God is stronger. Satan is real and God is stronger. This has marked my life and ministry. Now I tell you this story because this is what most people think about when, when I, anyone starts talking about spiritual warfare. They start thinking of exorcist kind of stuff, right? And you, you may have never had an encounter like that. Therefore, you probably think, I don't engage in spiritual warfare. Or you might think, see, spiritual warfare isn't real. She's probably mentally ill or something. It's not spiritual warfare. It's something else. Or you might think, well, spiritual warfare might make a great movie, but it's, but it's not real. And if it was real, it's not relevant to my life because I've never encountered something like that. But Ephesians 6 highlights for us the common struggle with evil in the day-to-day lives of Christians. Ephesians 6 highlights for us the common struggle, common struggle, write this down, common struggle with evil and the day-to-day life of Christians. Paul says that spiritual warfare is a common struggle. He almost normalizes spiritual warfare here. And notice there's nothing about casting out evil spirits in Ephesians 6. There's nothing about exorcisms. Not that those aren't real and true and and, and a part of, um, especially if you do missions work, if you're part of that. What Ephesians 6 is saying is that we all encounter every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus, all of us encounter spiritual warfare. You are in a war. This last week we said that the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament are indeed anti-violent, but they are not anti-war. The Bible, the, the, the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament is actually very pro-war. But we have to make sure what kind of war we're talking about. We're not talking about the war with bullets and drone strikes. We're talking about the right battle. And it's here in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Did you hear that? Our struggle is, our fight is not against other people. It's not against the left or the right. It's not against extreme liberals or hyper-conservatives. It's not against people who are racist or people who, who, who we think are destroying our country. If it has flesh and blood... Our fight is not with them. Our fight is, what, is, is, is against what Paul calls here the powers. Our fight is against the powers. This is where our true fight is. And if we don't realize that we are in a fight against these spiritual, dark, and oppressive powers, if we don't realize that we're really fighting the powers, we'll waste so much time fighting the wrong enemy, we'll fight people, And as a result, we'll end up fighting for the powers instead of against the powers. Paul says, unless you're fighting the right enemy, you will fight for the enemy, the real enemy. Unless you see that you're not fighting people, you're fighting the powers. You will start fighting people and actually be fighting for the powers. And I'll get back to this point later. But first, what are these powers? 
okay? What are these powers? Look at Ephesians 12 again. He calls them the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These are demonic forces. Traditionally, in most common translations, they are called, if you hear anyone um, engaging in spiritual warfare, they will call them principalities, powers, rulers, and spiritual forces. If you have another translation other than NIV, that's how it's translated traditionally. Principalities, powers, rulers, and spiritual forces. And many have suggested that what Paul is listing here is a hierarchy within the demonic realm. So there's like, there's the principalities, they're like the generals, and I don't really know how that, all that works. But anyway, so that's kind of, they think it's like a hierarchy. Now, that might be true, but we don't have any means of really discerning the various ranks by the use of these terms. These are not rank terms like lieutenant, corporal, private, or whatever. All of these terms were actually terms used when, the pe- when people spoke of the pervasiveness of the demonic realm and its powerful sway on the world in the first century. For example, principalities and powers were the most common way Paul and others speaks of demonic spirits. They're all over Paul's writing. Paul writes about the principalities and the powers all over his writing. They're the most common way of speaking of the demonic realm. When Paul uses the word rulers, this is a very, uh, uh, more of a rare word. This is actually the only time it appears in the Bible. And it's a term that appears to have been used in the first century when Jews spoke of the hostile demonic powers. And then spiritual forces, that word spiritual forces is a very general reference to various sorts of spirits. It's built on the word pneuma in Greek. Pneuma is the word for spirit. Which, and so Paul calls them evil pneuma, evil spirits. And when we think of evil spirits, we're forced to think about the Lord's Prayer. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, it says, and deliver us from the evil one. Same word. So I don't believe these are ranks of demons as much as Paul is making the point that our world is full of very evil and demonic activity. John puts it like this in 1 John. 1 John 5, 19. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. The Bible teaches that we live in a world full of divine beauty and full of common grace. Like today's such a beautiful day. Like there's a lot of things that you experience that you're, it's that, that full of, things that are full of beauty. This world is full of beauty and is full of common grace where all of us get to experience the common grace of divine beauty. On one hand, that's true. And on the other hand, we can't figure out how to stop killing each other. We keep killing each other. We live in a world where we have to spend trillions of dollars, trillions and trillions of dollars annually to kill each other or to try not to kill each other by intimidating the other people that starting to kill us is a bad idea because we will kill you harder. This, this is, our world's ran like this. And we try And it's almost like there's some supernatural explanation for why we can't stop killing each other because we're smart people. We're like an advanced species. We've created amazing, beautiful things. And the things that we create and the advances in technology, we find out a way to use it to weaponize and vice versa. Why do we do this? It's like there's like this evil sway that keeps the whole world killing each other. And this is the explanation from Scripture. 
Why is it as no matter how advanced we get, how modern we get, we can't figure out how to stop killing each other? There has to be this demonic or supernatural explanation, and there is one. Another example would be racism. Racism seems to have come back with a vengeance in our country. And it's not about education. People know that racism is, is bad. People know what racism is, and there's laws and funding. We have all those things, even on paper. But it's rooted in something deeper than this. It's like we need a supernatural explanation for this. And there is one. We are, the world is under the control of the evil one. So listen, it's like there's amazing beauty and life in the world. And we cheat. And we kill. And we oppress. And we hate. And we can't stop doing it. And you do as well. You do that as well. I do this as well. The, the, the world is charged with divine beauty and demonic oppression at the same time. Now, how do, we, how do we get our minds around this? How do we understand this? Um, <clears throat> to understand this, it's helpful to understand how the people of God in the Old Testament saw the world. They saw the world. This is where notes come in handy. They saw the world in two distinct ages. Two ages. The first age was the present age, and then there was an age to come. The present age and the age to come. Well, if you, what you might want to do is write the present age. And in parentheses, evil, the present evil age. The present age, to the mind of, 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 of the people of God in the Old Testament, was evil, the, the present evil age. And this age began when Satan's rule took over, when Adam and Eve gave up their place in ruling the earth with God in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were charged with to rule and to keep and to guard the garden. Not from weeds, weeds hadn't even been a thing yet. To guard it from the Satan, to guard it from the serpent, to guard it from the evil one, to keep and guard the earth. And they didn't, and they were tempted, and they fell, and it's like they gave the title deed over to the prince of this world, Satan. And the, but the people of God from that moment on had hoped for a day soon where God would personally intervene, Emmanuel, God with us, and usher in the age to come. Now, to do this, God would close out the present evil kingdom or evil age and open up a brand new kingdom, a new beginning. So it looks like this. Next slide. It looks like this. This age is the age of Satan's time. He's the prince of this world. Jesus calls him the prince of this world on several occasions. And it's characterized by sin and sickness and demon possession and evil people triumphing. But there is an age to come that will be characterized by the presence of God's Spirit, righteousness, health, and peace, and justice will come rolling down from the kingdom of God. Like, this will happen. So when Jesus shows up on earth, now, and back to Jesus, now, when Jesus shows back up on earth, notice, he doesn't fight people. Jesus doesn't fight people. Jesus never gets into a fight with a person. Ever. He fights. His battle is not against flesh and blood. When he confronts people, he's confronting the evil behind this person. He fights the demonic. When he confronts people, he often will tell them that the people that he's confronting are children of Satan, which isn't a compliment, by the way. Like, your father is the Satan. 
Like that's behind all of this activity that you're doing. That's behind all your legalism. That's behind all your, your self-righteousness is the Satan. And he goes after the demonic. Turn your Bibles to the left to Luke 11. Luke 11. This is a parable of Jesus. Oh, actually, it's a story and then a parable of Jesus. Luke 11, verse 14. Start there. This is Jesus and Beelzebul. I don't know if I said that right. I say it different every time. So just go with it. Don't say That's not what he said before. I know. I know. But that's, I don't know how to pronounce this. Anyway, verse 14. Okay. Jesus, it says, was driving out a demon that was mute. Now, in the first century, um, they, uh, they, it was a widely held belief that in order to cast out a demon, you had to get the demon's name. And once you got the demon's name, um, you were able to cast the demon out. You had power of the demon, you can cast the demon out. But if it was a mute demon, the demon didn't talk, so how are you going to get its name? Mute demons were very hard to cast out. Um, it, it was true. And so check this out. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute, and when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. They're like, this guy, like, he could do stuff that we, no one can do. Like, this is incredible. He cast out a mute spirit, a mute demon, without even getting his name. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, see, I told you, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Beelzebul was the prince of demons, like, basically calling him Satan. It's like, oh, you know how he's doing that, because he's Satan. Others tested him, asking him for a sign from heaven. Look at verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? He goes, if you're calling me Satan, and, and Satan's driving out Satan, there's a civil war going on, and I would lose. You can't do that. A house divided itself, a house in civil war will not stand. So doesn't, what you're saying doesn't make any sense at all. I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if, listen to verse 20. Oh, this is so good. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If, if I'm driving out demons by the finger of God, if the hand of God is, is acting in this, and I'm driving out demons by the finger of God, by God's power, then know this. That the kingdom of God is advancing on this world. The kingdom of God is breaking in and destroying everything that Satan has held. He's, he's, it's destroying his grip on the world. The kingdom of God is coming up against this present evil age and pressing into it and, and releasing the captives. Okay? So now he shares a parable. And this parable is about what Jesus has come to do. Look at verse 21. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Okay, this, in this parable, the strong man is Satan. The house is creation or the world. Satan rules the house, and he has it heavily guarded. So Jesus says this, so when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Who's the stronger man? Jesus. Jesus is saying, yes, everything was all safe and secure and everyone's stuck in their self-righteousness and their demon possession and Satan had a sway on this world and it was locked. He had it on lock. And then a stronger man comes in, me, 
with the finger of God and the kingdom of God advances and I take his plunder. I start people that could not see, people that could not hear, people that were in oppression, people that were possessed. This is physically and even spiritually. I have come to set them all free. I have come in to press in the kingdom of God into this present evil age. This is what Jesus has come to do. And this is why Jesus fights the demonic, not people. He fights the demonic. He doesn't blame people for being demonic. He wasn't like, oh, dude, what did you do? He just cast it out. He goes and goes, you've been oppressed by the Satan. You've been oppressed by the evil one. You've been oppressed by the principalities and the powers. You've been oppressed. You've been lied to. Whatever it is, I've come to set you free. But here's the question. If Jesus is the stronger man and he has overcome sin and death and the devil on the cross, and he has, if that is true, then why is there still evil in the world? This is a very good question. If it's true that that Jesus is a strong man and he's plundered Satan's house, why is there still evil in the world? And this, let's go back to the slide again. This, the, the age and the age to come, what was widely believed was that when the age to come came in, the present evil age would close. They believe as soon as the kingdom of God came in, the present evil age would end, and then we would be in the age to come. But in Christ, that didn't happen. What happened, actually, was that both ages, or both kingdoms, were opened up for the world. Open up to the world for an amount of time that we don't know. So that many could come to faith and salvation in Jesus. And that Jesus would continue to plunder the strong man's house. We're not told when this age will end, when revelation will begin and Jesus will put the end of all tears and all crying and no more sadness and all wrongs be made right. That is coming, but it's not yet. It's, it's been inaugurated. It's been it's started. A new age has dawned. The kingdom of God is present, but only partially. Satan continues hostile activity, but he has no real power or no real authority or no real control over those who are in Christ. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in us, Christ in us, than he who is in the world. And so now we live with two kingdoms in conflict. We live in a time when the present evil age overlaps with the age to come. The kingdom of God coexists with the kingdom of darkness, but it's not a peaceful coexistence. Are you guys still with me? Okay. Now, this, this, um, this tension isn't just cosmic. It isn't just like this, oh, this huge, um, arcing, giant, cosmic thing. It's actually extremely personal. When Paul speaks of spiritual warfare, he uses the metaphor of a wrestling match. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, or we, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That word he used for struggle is literally the word wrestle, and it's, and it's actually a word taken from the Greek wrestling matches that were very popular around Olympia. This means, this word is like, if you've ever wrestled, uh, a grappling word, like a wrestling word, like hand-to-hand combat word. And he probably chose this word to emphasize the personal nature of our fight against evil. And so Paul isn't saying that, hey, we're in this cosmic battle and it's kind of swirling around us and do whatever you can. He's like, you and I, we wrestle hand to hand in the face with evil. You and I wrestle with it and it's a part of the daily, day-to-day lives of Christians. You and I wrestle with evil. We all feel this fight. 
we wrestle against evil in our bodies and in our hearts and in our minds. It's the pull towards hatred and anger. It's the pull towards fighting and bitterness. It's the pull towards resentment and division. It's the pull towards using other people, both sexually for their bodies or where, you, where someone can get you in your career. It's a pull towards sexism and consumerism and racism and many other isms. See, we humans are so quick to turn on each other. We fight and we go to war and we tear each other down and we're hostile in the way we think about each other, the way that we talk about each other. And it's like it's second nature for us. We read a Facebook post and we want to put someone on blast. We just want to rage. And it's like second nature for us to do this. And we, we do this all over, like, and we do it as we're moving around the city. We do it when we're at work. It's like, I, and I think, I think the reason why we want to fight people all the time is because we have lost sight of who the true enemy is. I think we fight the wrong battles. So we fight against people. And we, we think that they are the battle, but they're not. We fight the wrong ones. We, fight, we don't fight the powers. And when we do, we make the racist the object of our anger and hate. We see racism on television and the racist on television, and we hate them, and we're so angry at them, and it turns and it fuels hatred in our hearts. And when we don't remain aware of the powers, we instinctively fight other people. So instead of fighting the powers that fuel violence by loving our enemies, we start hating our enemies, and we start using violence against them, and this fuels the powers. So violence happens, and then we want to hurt that person, and hatred brews in us, and then we become violent people, and all that does is fuel the demonic powers. We fight violence with hate or anger, and thus we perpetuate, perpetuate the violence. Instead of revolting against the powers that fuel racism, by loving all races and loving even the racist, we start hating the racist, which fuels the demonic powers. Anger and hatred start festering in our hearts. And then, guys, and I think, I really believe this here is a stronghold in this particular church community. So I want to call it out, and I want you in Christ to start tearing it down. I believe that we get mad at other Christians, either specifically in our own church reality or other churches, for either saying too much about racism or not saying enough about racism, and then it starts to divide us. We're all, we all like, no, racism is bad. And then there's some of us like, you're, and you're not saying enough. And those people are like, and you're saying too much. And you know what? You need to come. No, you need to come. And then you're fueling the powers. And you start to start hating each other. And then there's division. And then Satan goes, ha I got you. Like, I got you. I, I didn't even have to make you a racist to get you. But racism divided you. I won. I, I did it. The powers. You fueled the powers. And we do this. We do this in this church. We do this in this church. We look at someone and cry, like, you don't care about this issue enough. You, you need to calm down. No, no, you need, like, 
And then this thing starts getting in our, like our blood pressure starts to boil and we start fueling the powers. And this is a stronghold. Ephesians 4, 26, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. This is just before, a couple chapters before. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. See, anger is not a sin, but anger can quickly, quickly lead to sin and can thus lead to demonic footholds. Do you, you see how that works? We get angry at each other, and then we let the sun go down our anger, with his, which is like a metaphor of us stewing in our anger and not making it right. I mean, it doesn't literally mean, oh my gosh, I got angry at night, the sun's down, Satan got me. Like, it's a metaphor, right? It's like, deal with your anger. Like, don't sin. Forgive. Release that anger. Confess it to God. Forgive the other person. Love the other person. We don't do that. And so what happens is Satan gets a foothold, which is like a, he trips you up. He grabs onto you. And if he gets your foot, he gets your calf and he gets your leg and pretty soon you're tackled. That's football 101, I think. I don't know. Right? Like, this is how he does. And, you're, and you're, you've stumbled. You've fallen. And Satan wins. You fuel the powers instead of fighting the powers. How do you fight the powers? Well, you have to remember who the true enemy is. We revolt against the powers when we remember to give unsurpassable worth to every person made in the image of God. The racist. We give unsurpassable worth because that person's made in the image of God and Satan has blinded them. When people hate and oppress, we don't get self-righteous. We love we resist the real enemy when we remember that it's the demonic powers that keep people in racism and in patterns of violence. And the way we fight those powers is not by hating, but through love, not by self-righteousness, but through prayer. We refuse to get into that hatred, and this is our warfare. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, that's great, but then what do we do? But then what do we do? And I say, start here first. Start here first. I do believe that the Spirit of God will lead you in all kinds of other directions. But if this isn't done first, you have not a fighting chance. You, you don't know who the true enemy is. You have, to, you have to lock this in so deep into your heart and your mind. The real enemy is this. Now, what I don't mean by this, let me caveat this. I don't mean that, you know, look for the demonic everywhere. Oh my gosh, demons, demons here, demons there. I, you, there people are also a part of it. People, people allow themselves to be controlled by these powers, and there needs to be reconciliation done, and there needs to be honest conversation done, and forgiveness done, and extend, all that stuff needs to happen and needs to take place. For sure it does. We have to start by going, my fight is not against this person. And so I will fight the powers by forgiveness and love and truth and prayer and the way of Jesus and giving my life for this other person. Like if this isn't enough for you, you have to realize that at the core of our faith, Christianity, is Jesus who died for his enemies. That's the core of it, okay? So if you're like, well, I was wanting a little bit more than that, that you, that's, what, that's the core of it. If you get to the very, very heart of our faith, we have Jesus who was, 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 was murdered and he was giving his life for the murderers. And then he didn't blame them for murdering him. He said, Father, forgive them because it's not their fault. They don't know what they're doing. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? 
they don't know what, he's not like, Father, would you just rain down fire? I'll do this thing, I'll die, but I'm coming back with the vengeance in three days. He didn't do that. Father, they don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine that prayer for the racist? God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We wouldn't even, that's just not, we, that's not even in our category. This is the center of Christianity, this, this idea right here. And so we have to start here. We have to start here in our minds and in our hearts. And this is how we fight the powers. Now, I want to leave you with this thought as I try to land this plane really quick. You are outmatched. You are outmatched. This struggle is far greater than your ability to resist it. We do not have a fighting chance in this battle. You will, you will leave this room and like your Uber driver just like goes a block away and you're like, are you kidding me? I dropped my pen. Like, I was here waiting for you the whole time. Yeah. It's like the anger just happens, like, right then, right? Like, immediately, and it's gone. Like, you're outmatched, right? We, we don't have a funny chance in this battle because this evil <clears throat> starts to get in our heart, and it's so pervasive, it's intense. It's also subtle, and it's tricky. You do not have a fighting chance. You don't at all. And this is why you need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, this is why you need to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. This is, the, this is how the whole verse hangs right here on this verse. Be strong in the Lord, meaning you don't have the strength. You don't have the strength to fight this enemy at all. You don't. And so you need to, not with your own, your, with your own strength, you get yourself in God. You use all the strength you have, whatever it is that you have, to go, God, help me. You, 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 every single time, the powers will outsmart you, outlast you, outstrength you. They will wait for a more opportune time. You think you're killing it in 2017, but 2018, that's, that's when the, you don't know. So you must be strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord. Our only hope comes from God and the power he supplies. He is he, this, is, this, this is standing on our authority of Christ over the demonic. This is standing in the authority of Christ over the demonic. This is claiming the victory of Christ over our temptations. This is being found in Christ and his sufferings when doing the right thing really costs us something. And so what Paul does is he starts listing, list, listing the full armor of God, right? So um, you get the belt of truth. You got um, the breastplate of righteousness. You got your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You have a shield of faith. You have the, 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 the sword of the spirit. You have all this like armor, right? So when we think about this, a lot of us, our minds, or maybe we're taught this, go to the metaphor of a Roman soldier. Like, okay, we need to be, we need to fight in the Lord's army and looking like a Roman soldier. And I have my faith um, shield and my truth belt. And like I have, and so we think we're like putting on armor to go to war. <clears throat> and... Um, Paul doesn't necessarily want us to think about like a Roman soldier as much as he wants to think about God. Because what Paul is doing here, people in this community would have known this or the people that did know this would have told someone else. What Paul is doing here is he's actually quoting from the Old Testament about the armor that God puts on, his own armor. Isaiah 59, 17. God, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation 
on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. And here's the point. You are fighting this battle with the strength and the weapons that God supplies. You are fighting God's, you're fighting this battle with God's armor. So when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you're putting on God's armor. Not like you go out and find, you're putting on the things of God. You're putting on God. You're literally putting on God. You're like, God, I, I don't have it. I don't have your, I need, I need your word and your faith and your righteousness. And I need to walk in righteousness. And I need to walk in faith. And I need what only you can supply. So I want to put your armor on, his on. And so you're armed with God so that you're God strong. This is the whole point. Like I'm strong in the strength of God. And I've used all my capacities to run to God and go, God, and this is what spiritual warfare does. It should, should teach us we must run to God. I know that in my life, um, I've had encounters like, like the story I opened with um, a few different times since then. And some of the heaviest stuff has happened to me personally while living in San Francisco. A lot of spiritual warfare, like just crazy stuff. I don't really have time to get into it now. I don't think it's appropriate right now. And every single time, um, it starts to scare me and then teach me to run to Jesus. Every time. Like, oh my gosh, this is so real and crazy. And, um, and then it teaches me to run to God and God, I, I, I don't have this. I need to be strong in you and the might and your might. And this is why Paul ends with the praying in the Spirit. Prayer is an expression of faith. It's a very act of prayer is an admission that there is someone greater than I and I am not able and I need your help, God. So part of spiritual warfare is a recognition that you are not able in your own strength. You need God and you need the weapons that God supplies. And so, in this, in this warfare, in this battle, um, we all are in it. All of us are in it. And we have to remember our enemy. We have to fight the powers. And the way we fight the powers is not by giving in to them, recognizing them. And then we must, we must put on the righteousness of God. We must, we must place ourselves under the, the authority, the life of God. We must. We have, um, there is no other hope. There is no other hope. You must be strong in the strength of his might. Now, I want to uh, maybe leave you with this and challenge you with this. Figure out what that means, what that looks like for you. What does it look like for you to order your life so that you are strong in God? I think we think of it as like, okay, cool. Um, I heard that. I'll go and, f- you know, I'll just go from here and I'll just like, I'll just, ooh, I, I like that one. Thank you. God bless you, pastor. Thank you for that. And that's it. We just go from this place. Instead of going, okay, if this is real, if this is really Christian life, I have to figure out time with God, like, God, what does it look like for me daily, every single day, to arrange my life and day to where I'm drawing strength from you? Guys, I don't, every, we all might be different there, but this is where we have to be. This is, this is real life. And if you don't think that you're in a battle, you've probably already lost it. You are in a battle. And I would ask you tonight to wake up to that reality. As I close, I'd like to spend some time being um, still, a moment of silence before God. And I'm going to ask that the Spirit of God 
reveal to you the answer to this question. What lies have you been believing? What lies have you been believing lately? And I'm going to sit for that. I'm going to sit just for just a couple moments. And I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to answer that question for you. And I want you to, I want you to hear God. And, and I might call out a few and I want to pray into a few. And, and then I want to respond to whatever God does in the room tonight through prayer and singing and whatever. So would you close your eyes with me? Let's, Lord, as we... As we end, I want to ask you this question to answer in the hearts and the minds of the congregation here today. What lies have they been believing? One of the lies that I'm just sensing now is that you don't feel worthy of God's love. And I just want to call that out as a lie from Satan. And I tear that lie down in the name of Jesus and I say, every soul in here has unsurpassable worth and Christ has died for you. I know that there's a version of the lie that Jesus isn't enough. that there has to be something more than Jesus. Jesus plus something else. And that's a lie. Jesus is enough for your salvation, for your life. He's enough. And there's a lie that you can't hear God's voice. Like you just feel confused. Like I can't hear God's voice. I don't know what God's voice sounds like. That's a lie. My sheep Hear my voice, Jesus says, and I lead them. You do hear his voice. I, th- I believe God wants to say to you, start to, start to walk in obedience to that voice. And it will grow louder and more distinct as you do. But that's a lie. You do hear God's voice. And I even feel like there's a lie going around. This is a joke. This is such a joke. Satan would want to keep us blinded and think that the spiritual realm, only thing real is what we can see, and that's a lie. I tear that lie down in the name of Jesus. And Lord, there's a multitude of other things that, that I can go on for hours, and so I pray now, Spirit, tear the lies down in Jesus' name and bring freedom tonight. Bring a freedom of worship and expression, a freedom of prayer and connectivity to you, God. Tear down the lies and the strongholds in this church. I just named the stronghold of like division in our church and how even when we want good things in our church, we divide over the good things and we, go, we play into the powers. And I just call that down and I tear that down in Jesus' name. And I pray for unity in our church. Life and love and unity, like loving unity, self-sacrificial unity, God, in this congregation, in this season of our church. We love you, Lord. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. So, Lord, I just pray for anyone here that might feel 
oppressed, um, even like, like just like, the, like a spirit of heaviness on them. I pray now that, um, that the spirit of Christ would, would, would bring freedom. Like even in our repentance, our repentance would be an act of spiritual warfare. That if there's areas of our life that we have, we have um, sinned, that we would confess those tonight to you. And, and a time of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. And so I pray that, um, Lord, that a freedom of repentance would happen. Repentance is like the most beautiful word in the Bible. Like we can repent and turn to God and God hears us. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that over us now. As we receive communion and we sing and we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.